Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insiders perks. We've got three levels to Insiders, short story, novel, and the epic level, and you can try any level out for free for two weeks. For podcast lovers, that's you, insiders at the novel and epic level get access to two exclusive shows, the Read Harder podcast, which is excellent, and I can say that because I am one of the hosts along with Tears of Price, and (laughs) Remixed, which is where we randomly pair up hosts from across our shows to talk about, well, whatever they want. Insiders also get exclusive access to bookish deals, behind-the-scenes newsletters, our new release index, super helpful if you really just have a shopping out of control issue with your books, which we all do. The Epic Book Club and more. Sign up for your free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news to the latest in on-screen adaptations, the HeyYA podcast is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. HeyYA is a Book Riot podcast hosted by me, Sarah Hannah Gomez, and Tirsa Price. We are recording on Wednesday, June 12th, 2021, and this is episode 95, which is, wow. I had to double check because it seemed like there couldn't possibly be that many, but also that few. Yeah, you guys are coming up on on 100. This is exciting. Yeah, I think you're going to be I think it's going to be you still here for number 100. I think maybe maybe I might it might be as Kelly's coming back, but because um, she is coming back soon. So that's exciting as well. But sad for me because I love being on Hey YA. Same. <laughs> I also just I mean, I guess Kelly's baby pictures won't change just because she's back at work, thankfully. But I'm like, I kind of like that Kelly's on maternity leave because it means she posts like tons of baby pictures and I get to look at them. Yeah, cute little baby. Yes. She also looks like she's been doing a good amount of reading while on leave. So hopefully she can come back and tell us about all of the amazing things that she's been reading in between taking care of a baby. Yeah. I keep wanting to say baby, like um, Myra Rose from from Schitt's Creek. So that's why my voice kind of did a little funny thing. <laughs> a little baby. Um, anywho. <laughs> you know, we all have our things. Yes. So we are going to kick off today's episode with some fun news of the week, which is that I saw on Instagram that Evie Zaboy, who wrote Punching the Air and Pride and American Street, is writing a Black Panther YA novel. Oh, no. How terrible. Can we not? (laughs) I'm so excited for this. Right. (laughs) I just saw like Evie's post where it was like a Marvel, like a picture of her next to a Marvel screen. And I was like, "Ooh, what is she writing? And she is writing a YA novel starring Okoye. And it's going to be called Okoye to the people. And it's about a teenage Okoye. And I'm, I mean, sign me up. Where do I pre-order? Yeah. Oh, man. That and we get, you know, we have the Shuri books like oh, and Chadwick Boseman had, you know, the the school of theater, I think, or whatever at his alma mater renamed it after him and just all the Black Panther love. Hooray. Yes. It was a good reminder that I need to rewatch that movie because I think I saw it like three or four times this summer it came out <laughs> and I'm like, I haven't seen it in a while. I need to watch that. it's so like it's so nice to look at that movie like even if you don't have the sound on like just they did such a great job with all the costumes and the sets that it's yeah it is a visual masterpiece one of the things that i love about like this is very niche so i'm gonna keep this very short um (laughs) but there were a number of crafters knitters in particular who like zeroed in on some of the costumes and were like okay let's recreate this and like just by looking at stills from the movie they like reverse engineered some of the costumes so people could like actually knit them and i love that about crafters knitters in particular so yeah that's my nerdy knitting black panther crossover moment <laughs> i do love it when people do that 
I, for example, have an East Compton Clovers cheerleading uniform that <laughs> it took years to find. And now it's going to be my Halloween costume like every year until I'm like 80 because it was not cheap. But yes, thank you, universe, for people who craft and stitch because it allows us all to live in our favorite fandom. Yes, And so our our news piece feels irrelevant because today we are going to talk about some of the amazing screen adaptations that have come out. Like, I I would say almost within like the last year or so, because we're going to go back a few months. But there are so many that are available to stream and to rent and to download now. If you need like a cool summer, you know, list of things to watch while in the AC, we've got you covered. Yes. I'm so excited. I've had a lot of fun, you know, doing the homework for this episode. (laughs) Yes. It has not been hard. Oh, yes. It's like, I have to watch this for the podcast. Oh, shucks. Um, Yeah, it's been fun. Terrible. This job is just the worst. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got a lot of ground to cover. So I'm just going to dive in with our first sponsor so we can get going. So this episode is sponsored by Penguin Teen. In Continuum, fine artist, activist, and Titans actor Chella Mann uses his own experiences as a deaf, transgender, genderqueer, Jewish person of color to talk about cultivating self-acceptance and acting as one's own representation. What constructs in your life must you unlearn to support inclusivity and respect for all? This is a question that artist, actor, and activist Chella Mann wrestles with in his powerful essay, and it's a story of coping and resilience. Chella journeys through his own experiences as a deaf, transgender, genderqueer, Jewish person of color and shows us that identity lies on a continuum, a beautiful, messy, and ever-evolving road of exploration. That is Continuum. Thank you to Penguin Team. That makes my identity seem so simple. (laughs) Like, usually I'm the one who's like, comma, comma, hyphen, hyphen, but well done, sir. Yes, that looks good. All right. Do you, who who should start here with our first pick? Do you want to kick us off? Oh, man. Yeah. Did we watch any of the same things? I know we were talking about so many that... You know, I think we ended up having like a lot of overlap. We both got early screeners of Panic. And how far did you get along in Panic? I have seen, I think, three or four episodes. And it's it's out now, right? Or at least it'll be out when people are listening to this. Yeah, I think it'll be out by the time this show airs. I watched the first episode and that's as far as I got, not because I wasn't enjoying it, just because life was busy. But it's definitely a show that I was like, ooh, I think I want to like wait and hit pause on this and maybe get my partner to watch it with me because I think it's something we'd both enjoy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels like a good, like it's almost a shame if they're gonna, you know, toss them all out at once because it seems... Like very old school TV where like you all get together and rehash the next day what happened and like you have to wait the full week to you know find out what happened next. I'm not sad about being able to binge it, but definitely I'm like, this feels like old TV, like not in an old time yeah. way, but just like in a like TV when we were still modeling it after like you got to keep a hook for next week. Yeah, cliffhanger at the end of every episode, which it's a thriller show, so that makes sense. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with Panic, it's based off of Lauren Oliver's book, Panic. And it's set in this small town where there's not a lot of economic opportunity. Teens tend to feel trapped in there. But there's this competition where the prize is, I think, is it like $50,000? Something like that. Like it changes from year to year based on, you know, some kind of nebulous (laughs) crowdsourcing of money. (laughs) Yes. And so you enter this this like fierce sort of physical competition of like, you know, fighting against your fears and like, you know, strength and will. And if you it's very dangerous, people die sometimes. If you win it, then you get the money. Yeah, it's like a winner takes all. I love to like, you know, teens don't try this at home. I don't actually love it, (laughs) but I love it how there's like, you know, kind of the more, you know, adventurous you get, the more points you get and they add up points and all that. And yeah, it's like you have elite colleges with legacies and endowments. And this is like the seniors, you know, from high school last year, this is like their endowment (laughs) to the next generation. It's just super dangerous, but also like I don't know. I'm loving it so far because it's, you know, a summer story. I love, you know, that's like my second favorite, you know, type of story after school story and just, yeah, summer nights and what trouble can you get into and what, you know, wholesome things, 
you know, can you get into too? Definitely keep watching it. And I kind of stopped also because I was like, but once this is live, instead of me having a screener, I can watch it at the same time as someone. So kind of like you with your with your spouse, just kind of like, yeah, I paused it partly to just do other things and partly because I was like, oh, but I want to talk to someone and no one else but Tirza has seen it. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So now we are telling you that this is something that you're going to want to watch with people. And I also saw that there was a, a news article about season two. So I don't know if it means that like season two has already been ordered, but it was like, don't read this if you haven't finished season one yet. And I was like, okay, I I will come back to this. I also saw that headline. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it sounds like maybe there might be more, which is exciting um, because, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's a great premise. It's something you can totally like keep recycling because it's an annual thing. So it's one of those like you can make like sort of a revolving ensemble cast very easily, I think, while still having like yeah, kind of threads and undercurrents of past years. I don't know if that's what they're thinking for season two or if it's like two weeks later, but we'll see. It's definitely like a good concept for like recycling. Yes. So yeah, that is Panic based off of the book by Lauren Oliver. I was going to talk about Moxie. Did you read or watch Moxie? I still have not seen it. I also have not read it. Okay. But I have a feeling I'll like it because it's Amy Poehler, right? She produced it or? Yes, she did. And she stars as as the um, the mom in the show, which is like, you know, I'm of the age where it's kind of funny to think about Amy Poehler starring as a teenager's mom in a movie, but she does a great job. Um, I still think of her as like Leslie Mill. Oh, forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moxie is really great. It's based off of the book by the same title by Jennifer Matthew. And it's really a great feminist story. It's about this teenage girl who gets really tired of all of these sexist microaggressions and not even microaggressions, but like some real like sexist <laughs> BS in her school. And she decides to push back, but her way of pushing back is taking inspiration from her mom, who was a nineties riot girl. And by making an anonymous zine where she kind of starts this underground feminist revolution at her school and it kind of takes on a life of its own, but she's also kind of worried that like, how do we keep this going? But how do I, I say anonymous? Cause she really wants to say anonymous. I loved both the book and the movie. The movie's available on Netflix. The book is set in Texas. And then the movie is like set, I think, in like a small town in the Pacific Northwest. So it's interesting because I think the two, like the different setting is like a a tonal shift because there's definitely a huge difference between small town Texas and small town Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I would guess. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's like, it was funny because I was watching the the movie and like the from like the very first couple of minutes, I was like, this is not Texas. Like, where where is this? So it is a shift, but I also think it's a really, you know, it's interesting because that kind of helps contribute to like making the movie like its own thing separate from the book. But it was really, they both were really good. The movie follows the book pretty, pretty faithfully, I would say. But there are some, um, also some key differences that I think worked for the movie. I think ultimately, I like them both and I would recommend them both. I think I liked the climax scene in the book better than I liked it in the movie but both are really great um and then one other thing I want to say about this is I don't know if you've seen the Linda Linda's video go around it's kind of been semi-viral on the internet but they perform in the Moxie movie oh so yes I'm wow I'm like so out of touch I'm like I know nothing about this but (laughs) we'll link it in the show notes but so i'm sure some listeners out there are like yeah the linda lindas they're they're fun so anyhow what is your next pick okay so unpregnant which i read it is a book i read in like one sitting and i really like usually you know when you say that you mean you like got up to pee or whatever but i i sat down in a restaurant ordered my food ate my food like it was it was one rainy night eating a hamburger and Oh, it is so readable. It's hilarious. Even reading like the arc before it came out, I was like, so I'm sure this has already been scooped up for a movie. And it had been. So you have, you know, kind of a, a popular good girl in a in a pretty, you know, kind of churchy Bible, Bible something town who, you know, does what no popular girl should do and gets pregnant, even though she's in high school. And she's, you know, upset both because being pregnant in high school is, you know, not like her plan, but also because she did have safe sex 
So she's like also, you know, kind of in a less funny version of like the Ross and Rachel, like, are you telling me that I am the, you know, 1.2% of people? (laughs) who like you know slip between the cracks and it's not effective because they used a condom so now she has to keep this from all of her other like popular friends but who should come into the school bathroom this is why you don't you should do this at like a 7-eleven bathroom (laughs) but her like ex-best friend who of course is kind of like you know the school like if not outcast definitely like very quirky loud girl that you know is not in the popular good girl crew And so she figures out what's going on. And now we have, you know, these two girls who are, you know, shoved back together again and now have to deal with like, how did our friendship fall apart? And then there's this secret, like, you know, are you going to tell? Are you not going to tell? And now the pregnancy test has been found in the trash. Oh, boy. So the whole school is basically like, you know, taking bets on who it is. And Veronica, the, you know, the main character is like, oh, yeah, totally. I wonder who it is. And they all start to guess and they guess Bailey, who is her best friend. And she's like, yeah, totally. Like, sounds, yeah, sounds real. So, yeah, so now she's pregnant and she learns that she can't terminate a pregnancy in her state because she's underage and doesn't want her parents to know. So lots of stuff happens. And now she has to go to New Mexico. And the only person who can drive her is Bailey. So then it becomes just this like road trip comedy. And it's, oh, I love best friend comedies. It's like my favorite, like underused genre and so this has like all of the you know like we lost our transportation we met this weird person we met this other like person who turned out to be pretty cool oh no it's the police like all of those beats (laughs) but then you just have the fact that you know they're like teen girls doing a very feminist thing together to make it more interesting than like the hangover so it is hilarious but also very heartwarming and i'm you know not someone who's like into that and even i was like oh (laughs) so yeah because they have you know two days where veronica the whole time is like instagramming like self-care weekend like pretending that she's like having a time and you have one of the best portrayals of like toxic masculine behavior i have ever seen in a ya book and i don't want to give it away aside from it has to do with veronica's boyfriend Oh, oh, this is great. It is. There was a tweet that I, or like a Twitter thread I saw that went at least semi-viral yesterday about a young woman who, you know, when she was 17, got pregnant, her boyfriend admitted he had poked holes in the condom so that he could like tie her down. And he had actually said something like that. Terrifying. And same thing, like she couldn't go, you know, she couldn't, she didn't feel like she could tell her parents, blah, blah, blah. So just... I'm just going to put in the same, you know, paragraph. Unpregnant is a great book and a great movie and also viral Twitter with the content. I just told you (laughs) that, but oh my God, it's so good. It's on HBO Max. Just it's worth your free trial or your friend's password or the whatever dollars per month. Like it's hysterical. Uh, So funny story. I bought Unpregnant in hardcover like the week it came out. Have I read it yet? No. No. Can I see it from where I'm sitting as we are recording on my shelf? Yes. Um, I'm really excited to see it. And I definitely was like, oh, I'm going to get HBO Max for like all the other things, but also Unpregnant's on there. So I sadly have not seen it or watched it, you know, watched it or read it yet, but I'm going to like it is for real gonna happen and you just pumped me up so thank you oh definitely i'm also having a lot of fun looking at the illustrated covers for it in the bazillion different languages it's already been released in and oh man they're so entertaining it's a good cover (laughs) so yes my next pick is funny um like tiny anecdote we my partner and i were watching something on hulu and hulu does that really confusing thing where they'll show you ads for like things that happen on like other streaming services but we were watching hulu and there was this movie trailer that came up and i was watching it and i was like this feels familiar and then my partner turned to me and was like that looks like a YA 
book adaptation is it and i was like is it and then i looked (laughs) up and so the movie is map of tiny perfect things and i was like oh my gosh it is an adaptation of a ya story but it's an adaptation of a short story by love grossman of the same title and it's found in the summer days and summer nights anthology um which was edited by stephanie perkins and it was so funny because like i watched it and i was like it feels so familiar but i could not place it because i was trying to think of like a novel and not like oh no that's a short story right so once i looked it up i was like oh i remember the short story now so the premise is a teenage boy is caught in a time loop like a groundhog day type of time loop which i love those types of stories they are fantastic i feel like we've seen a lot of them recently both in like fiction and in movies um so he's caught in this time loop and he's just kind of happy there he's like doing his own thing he's got his day down he is you know a little bit complacent i would say he really enjoys kind of just going around his his world and like finding all of like the really small but kind of like magical perfect moments that happen in a single day and so when the story starts he's been there for a while and he's trying to like basically pick up a girl (laughs) and while he's trying (laughs) to do this as one does and i mean like it's it's maybe slightly creepy when you think that like he's had like how many do-over days so he can kind of like learn her schedule and then like just start over i was gonna say can we talk about toxic masculinity and stalking because that's a little that's a little toxic we don't they don't really dwell on it too much but his his attempt to like pick her up goes awry when all of a sudden this this girl just like walks right in his path and he's kind of like that's never happened before and then he's like wait that's never happened before that means that like she must also be caught in this time loop with me because i've never seen her before and like i would know like if she showed up at that place every day so he he goes through this whole thing to track her down and at first he's really excited like oh hey i found another person here but she's not as thrilled to see him and so they do have this relationship and he's kind of like hey hey this is cool like maybe we can figure out our you know way out and and she's kind of like "Mm, pass and so they have to really you know just kind of figure out where they're going to go from there and he of course eventually learns her secret and, and why she doesn't want the day to end oh yeah it's really good i can guess what it is just based on I don't know. Yeah. The signaling yes. in that in that trailer. But yeah. Yeah. So what's fun about it is that I mean, this was a short story, and I remember really enjoying the short story. And then like this is a high concept thing that is conveyed in a short story, which I think is impressive because it's I think it can sometimes hard be hard to convey a high concept premise in like a constrained sort of format. But then there's like totally enough here that they kind of expand out. And they give you a really great YA movie. So this is on Amazon Prime, um, Map of Tiny Perfect Things. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, now that I think of it, it is weird that Hulu advertises other. I kind of like it, though. It makes me feel like maybe they're back where they started, where they're like a democratic platform for all, (laughs) even though they're owned by like Disney, I think. It's just confusing because it's like I saw an ad for that on Hulu. But what do you mean it's not on Hulu? I have to go get like you know, Amazon Prime now. Um, But that's only a small quibble. Right. And, you know, everyone has passwords to everything or knows someone with a password. Okay. I want to talk about one I am super excited about because it's one of those movies, they shot it like at least three years ago. And it has been like bouncing around from like distribution to studio to distribution. Like, and so finally it's on Netflix. And I just, I, I really hope people notice because it wasn't even like pushed on Netflix. I think it just like came up when I did a search for like books based or movies based on books. And it's Monster by Walter Dean Myers. So I'm also very sad that like he didn't live to, to see it. But it totally makes sense for it to be a movie because half the book is written like a screenplay anyway. You know, so it's about a boy who is accused of a crime. He's accused of being an accomplice to a bodega robbery that ended in the, I forget if it's the owner or just a cashier, either way, it's a human being, ends in someone's death. So, and you don't, like at the beginning of the book, you just, he's on trial, like you don't see the whole thing happening. 
but he's just sitting there listening to all these people and like watching them, you know, call him the worst things, calling him a monster, just like kind of playing through all of the things that we see every day in our, you know, quote unquote justice system when it comes to black men. And this book, like I've assigned it to a lot of students. I recommend it to people all the time. There's a graphic novel adaptation. And it's one of those, like, I think one of the things that's most effective is that to this day, I can't remember how it ends. Like there's a big question of like when the jury comes back, are they going to find him guilty or not guilty? And I could not tell you to this day what the what the outcome is. I don't remember because it's just so good at like showing the the messiness of how, you know, like a kid can be dragged into a thing that, you know, like the good kid just is in the wrong place at the wrong time, but also what it's like to have to, you know, like exist in a community where like, you know, supporting your community doesn't always mean like I don't want to say like living inside the law, but just, you know, lots of things are gray. Lots of things are hard. Lots of relationships are complex. So the movie is just, it's really, it's really well done. It's, I mean, it's super sad. Jennifer Hudson's in it. And it's wild to me that she can like be old enough to have like an 18 year old kid, but she's great. There are just fantastic actors in it. And it's a really... It is a very moving story in whatever format you experience it, but I'm just so glad that the movie is finally there for people to watch because I've been waiting so long and then it just came out so quietly that it's really sad. So everyone should go watch it. It's on Netflix. Definitely. And I feel like that book gets assigned so often in schools and whatnot that like hopefully it will sort of gain traction on Netflix, especially because I feel like Netflix is probably one of the most accessible platforms that like a lot of people have. Oh, definitely. I mean, people point that out too, just with the fact that they didn't call themselves male flicks. Like they knew even when they started that, you know, choose your movie online and watch it at home was like the beginning and not the, the only model. So yes, they should do a movie tie in edition. I know people don't like when books do that, but like, why not? The book's been out like 20 years at this point. So it helps promote. That's for sure. So yay. Well, hopefully if you were hearing about it, you can go check it out on Netflix. Um, I think Netflix is such a great platform for YA movie adaptations, especially because of that like on demand and like instantaneous just nature of the platform. Like I think that's part of the reason why Jenny Han's To All the Boys I've Loved Before franchise really took off and and like Dumplin' and all of that. But I'm going to talk about another Netflix show that has been pretty popular. And honestly, I feel like we could do an entire episode just dissecting Shadow and Bone. Oh, probably. Netflix. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so I, I definitely, I mean, I love the books, and they're based off of Shadow and Bone, the trilogy by Lee Bardugo. But then they did a really interesting thing where they took the Six of Crows. It's Six of Crows is the first in a duology, but they took the characters from Six of Crows and they integrated them into Shadow and Bone. And I know a lot of people are kind of like, what? How are they going to do that? It was done with like Lee Bardugo's full support. And how they ended up doing it is that like in Six of Crows, especially towards the center of the book, there's like a lot of flashback scenes to like the character's backstory. So essentially what they did was they took you know, five of the Six of Crows characters and they very neatly inserted their backstories into the Shadow and Bone trilogy. Oh, clever. Which is clever. And it works on on some level because I think that like, oh my gosh, I have so many opinions about this show, but I think that <laughs> you can kind of tell that like Lee Bardugo was growing as a writer because you know, the Six of Crows duology, those characters, the plot, like they're a lot more complex than the Six of than the Shadow and Bone trilogy. So it works because it does kind of add some interesting complexity and depth to the trilogy. And it's all set in the same fantasy world and they do have connections anyway that, you know, sort of come out in later books in Crooked Kingdom. But they did it really well. I was very, very impressed to see how seamless it was to put those those characters all together in one one show. 
I do want to quickly note that there's, you know, been some criticism for how the show has cast, um, recast the main character, Alina, as a biracial woman. I've seen a lot of different, really balanced, wonderful sort of analysis of of how that was done. You know, some people really did not like it and they felt like it was kind of co-opting her pain and trauma as a biracial woman. Some people really, you know, identified with it. So um, I just want to acknowledge that there's, you know, a lot of differing opinions on that. So we have a few great takes on bookriot.com. If you wanted to check those out, there's been a lot of really great discourse online. I would say overall, I really enjoyed the show. I thought that the casting was excellent the plot and the writing were really good it's a gorgeously shot show like with all of the you know sets and and the scenery and the special effects it was really really exciting i actually took the friday it you know landed off and i watched the entire show (laughs) it was like all eight episodes it was funny i think my partner came down and was like you're still watch it and I was like I'm all in like we're we're finishing this tonight it was really good so I highly recommend it I'm really excited for a season two I I don't think that the season two has been announced yet unless I missed that but I really hope they do because it it kind of leaves you on this like really perfect note to just kind of launch into you know, another exciting season and the characters again, they're just, they're so great. And, you know, if you've not seen the show, but you've seen a lot of memes about the goat, it's worth watching for the goat. And I'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited for that one. It's an undertaking because, you know, me and series and wanting to read it first, but also not having time. I don't know. So I don't know when I'll get to it, but I am super duper excited. So speaking of not getting to things, I got to Stranger Things very late, which is not based on a book, but one of the kids in Stranger Things is the star of Concrete Cowboy, which I just watched today, actually. And I couldn't, like, he's so good in this, but so not what he's like in Stranger Things when he is Lucas that I was like... It was one of those where I was like, that guy looks familiar, but I can't place him. And it was because like, he's such such a good like comic actor. And in this, he's, you know, it's a drama. So it's based on a book called Ghetto Cowboy by G. Neri. And it is a very, it's a quick read, but like it packs a punch and he puts a lot in it. Like I'm always really impressed with authors who can write like a 110 page book that's like, you know, really, really solid. And the movie is super long and rated R, even though the book is like, I'd say like upper middle grade, lower YA. So I don't know that a lot of people will encounter it and like put it together with a book just because the, you know, kind of the audience is so different. But um, first of all, Idris Elba. So I feel like I could just be <laughs> like, Idris Elba and episode over. But <laughs> like, so Lucas Sinclair and Idris Elba. So it's about a boy who, you know, has been getting in trouble in school and his mom has just like had it and is like, you're staying with your father for the summer. And he like, he knows of his father more than he knows his father. And she's like, you know, she basically just tosses him out of the car, locks the doors and goes. So now he's in Philly and someone's like, oh, your dad's down there. And he walks like down the street and comes to a stable where his father Idris Elba is. And also there's a horse. So he now has to share a room with a horse. And so that, I mean, I feel like that probably sold <laughs> sold the book <laughs> and the movie. <laughs> like the studio was probably like, yeah, whatever. But yeah, it's based on actually like a few real organizations, most specifically the Fletcher Street Stables. But it's this really cool kind of grassroots organization slash movement slash group of people who started rescuing horses, a lot of them from racing tracks, but also I think from other, I don't know how, where else you rescue horses from, maybe like circuses and Hollywood? I'm not sure. There are some bad situations you can rescue horses from. There are some bad situations. Yeah, I guess you can re- like rescue it from, you know, Jiggy Nye if you're Felicity or yeah, some mean owner. But yeah, so they have horses and, you know, it's kind of like a, I don't want to say like it's there to like help the inner city kids find an outlet for their, you know, pain and troubles because like that's really reductive. Although it, it does that, I think the act of like learning how to care for an animal and learning how to ride. But it's also just a kind of, it's a thumb in the nose of gentrifiers, which I am like, 
anytime you can mess with a gentrifier. I'm 100% on board because they're living in, you know, what outsiders are like, this is filth and you're wasting all this good property that we could put like a condo on. And they're also like kind of bringing the idea of cowboys back to its black roots. You know, I think our typical, you know, picture of a cowboy is like a Wild West white guy who's, you know, like going around stirring up trouble. But actually, you know, like a lot of cowboys were black men, if you kind of go back in history. So in the book and the movie and in real life, you know, they kind of talk about how like, actually, this is a way of going back to our roots, like all the way back to slavery, even. And, you know, one of the things that black men did, and one of the things they kind of were able to do as employment, once they were freed, also, they could go to ranches in the West. So like, you know, you have like a kind of classic setup of like fish out of water, you have this kid who's like all hard, you know, and his father's like, also hard, but in a cowboy way. And it's like, you're gonna sleep with this horse, because that's what I've got. And you're not too good for that. And you know, they both kind of have to learn how to interact with each other. You know, Cole, the son is like, you are a father figure to everyone in this community, except me. And the father, meanwhile, is like, if you're gonna hang out with your cousin who sells drugs, like I'm not having it. At one point, there's a horse that gets loose and ends up on a baseball field. And so the whole crew, you know, there's like a pickup baseball game happening and all the people are like, we can't play now. And the whole crew of the Fletcher Street stables like has to go and break this horse basically and get him home. Yeah, it's really I mean, it is a two hour rated R movie taken from about 100 pages of like a really excellent but definitely not, you know, full of the F word novel. But it's so well done. So I hope people do watch it and then go back and be like, maybe I should rethink what I think about YA in middle grade because they're both really good. But I, I do love that the movie was able to really draw out a lot of the, the stuff that's only kind of subtext in the book because it's so brief. Yeah, there's oh, there's incredible acting and just this like wonderful community of like family that's, you know, genetic family, but also family by, you know, circumstance and choice. And just, yeah, at one point, they have like a cookout and the there's a girl character who's like also been kind of working her way up, you know, mucking missiles and learning how to ride. And she's like, so it's kind of like the Fast and Furious movies where everyone's just sitting around like eating and talking and drinking and revving their cars, except with horses. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just great. Yeah. So it's not quite as like there's a little more like levity and humor in the book than in the movie, but it's it's good stuff. You should definitely try both. I will definitely check it out because I grew up with horses and I grew up competing in rodeos. My father is, is very much a cowboy. So I'm excited to check that one out. We have rodeo vacation in Tucson. Like that's like Ooh. school days off. I love <laughs> but it. I've never been in a rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun time. So yes, that sounds so great. All right. I'm going to very quickly bring us home with one final uh, recommendation, which is Dash and Lily's Book of Dares has been adapted for this wonderful Netflix TV series. Um, And it came out um, this past um, holiday season because it's very much a Christmas show. So if you are unfamiliar with the books, Dash and Lily, Dash and Lily's Book of Dares is a book that is co-written by David Levithan and Rachel Cohn. There are two or three sequels at this point, but it's all about this teenage boy who does not like the magic of New York City at Christmas. And then a girl named Lily who loves magic of Christmas in New York. And they are connected when they discover a moleskin notebook in the Strand bookstore. And it is full of dares that they are kind of trading back and forth. And so it's it's very fun because it kind of feels like this little scavenger hunt where they're sending each other all over the city to do things. And they have a lot of like really close calls where they sort of you know, brush past each other, but they don't quite connect. So the entire first season is all about them, you know, basically finding their way to each other. And there's romance, but there's just a lot of really great humor, a lot of like beautiful Christmas time New York sets. I love Christmas and I love Christmas stories. So I was just eating this book right up. One thing I really liked about the show that did, that they kind of made a bit of a change from the book is they cast Lily and her family as 
Japanese American, which is not in the book, if I recall. Um, so yeah. that was a kind of an interesting way to kind of just, I, I would say, kind of update the story and and just add a bit of diversity to it. I mean, I, I'm white, so I, I don't know if it was done super authentically. I did try to kind of look up and see if there were any critiques about it. But overall, I read a lot of positive, like, you know, we liked this change and we thought it was great. So I love Dash and Lily. It's a great show to watch. I mean, if you're like me, you're, you have no qualms about watching a Christmas show in June. <laughs> um, so I highly recommend it. Um, but also, it's just a really fun thing to watch at the holidays because it's it's kind of light and it's heartwarming, but it's not like as cheesy as a Hallmark movie, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have loved, I think, every book they have co-written together, except I haven't read the sequel to Dash and Lily. But I'm going to hit our second sponsor because we love them, too. And then we can keep talking about screen and books because they're wonderful. So our second sponsor is Emporia State University's School of Library and Information Management. The Masters of Library Science program at Emporia State University is an ALA-accredited program that offers you the flexibility of online classes while also giving you a community of peers to build your professional network. Through a combination of instruction, students are able to form deep connections to the coursework, professors, other students, and practicing professionals in libraries. ESU offers a quick and affordable way to earn your MLS, with most students completing their degree in two years, even while working a full-time job. To learn more, visit www.emporia.edu slim. So thank you, Emporia State. Awesome. So we've talked about stuff that you can watch right now that you can go stream or download, but there's also a ton of stuff in the works. So I thought we could just hit some of these really quickly. And I would say, I think this list, I mostly kept it to like things that seem like they might actually become reality. Because <laughs> if you if you are familiar with the book world or you pay attention long enough, like things get optioned all the time. But that definitely does not mean that they're going to actually be made into a show or a yeah. movie. But the ones that I picked, I think it looks like either they've been cast or like it looks like it's pretty serious. Do tell, Tirza. Do tell. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So the first one I want to talk about um, is Stephanie Perkins. There's someone inside your house. Like this is going to be a Netflix like sort of teenage horror movie, and it's it's going to come out this year. I at least it's going to come out this year according to multiple sources. I don't <laughs> see a release date yet, and we haven't seen a trailer. But Netflix is. I don't want to say notorious, but like they're kind of known for just like being like, yeah, 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 it's coming. And then like two months before they'll drop a trailer and a, and a release date. So I'm guessing because this is a horror, we're probably not going to see it until the fall. But there's someone inside your house is kind of come out this year and it's probably going to terrify me because horror movies terrify me. Oh, I love horror. <laughs> I, I love, I love that we exist on opposite ends of this spectrum. <laughs> Oh, you know what? I forgot about two that I even mentioned in the extra credit about, you know, get ready so that you can hang on my and Tirza's every word. And then I ran out of time to watch them. But Dr. Bird's Advice for Sad Poets <gasps> is a book that I yes. thought was great enough that it was a finalist for the Morris Award the, the year I was on that committee. And it is a movie now. It is a, you know, you have to pay to rent it, which because I think it would have had like a theatrical release you know if this were normal times but i'm super excited because it is you know a boy who loves poetry and is having some time and how better to go through that than to talk to a therapist except his therapist is a bird that isn't real and is a pigeon but not real i love this and i love it when like because this, this was not like a book like it was an award winner but it wasn't a big splashy book so no. i really enjoy when like quieter books like this that are really solid get made into movies because i i hope it like helps them find a wider audience and i had totally forgotten that this was now a movie so thank you for reminding me Yes. And then the Chaos Walking series is also one that I ran out of time to read, but the movie was finally released. Um, so that's Patrick yeah. Ness's trilogy. So I think it's mostly based on the first book, which is The Knife of Never Letting Go, but they called the movie Chaos Walking. So yes. it's another one that I'm like, it's it's there on my list. Just 
ran out of time, what with watching episodes of The X-Files a million times instead. Yeah, and that one was one that was filmed a while ago, but it just, it floundered a while before it actually found a distribution outlet. So that's exciting that that's now finally available. Yeah. So Jennifer E. Smith, have you read anything by Jennifer E. Smith? She's written a lot of contemporary YA. She was so often checked out of the library I worked at that I never did because <laughs> I just, I was like, well, I know everyone yeah. likes it, so I don't need to sell her. And also I can't check her out because you're all reading it. Yeah, she's she's definitely like, I think if you like Morgan Matson and Sarah Dessen and Deb Coletti, like you would like her books a lot. So the cool thing is that she's got two of her books that are in production. The Statistical Probability of Love at First Sight is a really great novel about a boy and a girl who meet on a red eye flight to London. And they have this connection and then they land and they kind of find out that they're they're both in London for like very different reasons, but they want to try and reconnect. And that one, I believe, has been fully cast and like is actually shooting like if not like right now, like then very soon. Um, and I forget who was all in that cast, but I, I all I remember is that Tahani from The Good Place is going to be in it. And I got very excited. Oh, oh she's such a wonderful human. Yes. And then the other um, book by her, and it's so funny, these just happen to be like the, no, I think I've read a few more of Jennifer Eastmas. I've not read all of her books, but these two books just happen to be ones I've read. Um, Windfall is also in the works. And I, I don't know if it's been cast, but I do know that Lauren Graham is producing it. So um, hopefully that means that chances are pretty good. It's about a girl who buys her best friend and like longtime secret love a lottery ticket as a celebration and she also like confesses her her love to him in a note and then he gets the lottery ticket and it's a winning lottery ticket but like he somehow loses the note where he confesses her his her love to him so that creates some drama (laughs) oh my god i'd be so mad right so mad (laughs) (laughs) So I think that that like both of those sound really great. I think both of them would make really good movies. So hopefully those are coming up soon. I mean, statistical probability of love at first sight, maybe even as soon as next year, that would be really cool. Another one that I saw is um, so Jenny Han, who wrote to all the boys I've loved before became a huge, huge hit on Netflix. Um, Her first trilogy, which I feel like has was so good. And I feel like it probably did get a lot of, you know, good recognition when it first came out, but has since been eclipsed by the popularity of To All the Boys. Um, But the Summer I Turned Pretty trilogy, I love that trilogy so much when it first came out. I read all three and I recently like repurchased them because I lost my original copies. But that is um, has been optioned as well. And that's exciting. I'm I'm excited to see where that goes. And I feel like the chances are pretty good that that's going to get made because it's Jenny Han. I was wondering why it took so long, honestly. I was like, so do they realize that like her first, and I hope, because I know, I mean, I don't know because I haven't read it, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, that was her first trilogy and that the characters are white. Yes, they are in the book. And I know that's a kind of common, like that gets your foot in the door, which is a whole lot of depressing, but that I'm sure she would be excited about and they would easily be able to like make it very diverse, which also is exciting. They are. They are doing it because it's already been cast and they did cast an Asian American girl as the lead. So that is exciting. Yes. I love to see that. (laughs) I feel like in her mind, that's probably like what she was writing and then changed it because yeah, publishing. Because that first book came out in 2009. It's over 10 years old. So yeah, I think it was a very different landscape in 2009. And I love the idea of, of like, I, I know that this can be very fraught territory, but I do love the idea of adding diversity to adaptations as long as it's done in like a very you know sensitive and proper and and well-researched way where you're bringing in you know the appropriate writers to make it be like a very good realistic depiction and not just like oh let's just shoehorn some diversity in there so I think that that's like a really great opportunity to kind of just expand upon that world also I don't know. Maybe this will be like an unpopular opinion. I think the plot of The Summer I Turned Pretty, that entire trilogy, is so much stronger than the two All the Boys I've Loved. And I love to All the Boys I've Loved before. But I think like from a story perspective, The Summer I Turned Pretty is just 
it's a bit more well-rounded and it's, I think it's, it's just a little bit better. So I'm excited that that's going to be adapted as well. (laughs) I'm so happy that she's having success. I know me too. I just, every time I see like anybody in the YA world, but especially people of color, I'm just like, yes. It's it's so exciting to see all of her books just take off. All right. So I'm going to run really quickly through the last couple of things that are in the works because we're running out of time. Um, But The Girls I've Been by Tess Sharp has been optioned and um, Bobby Millie Brown is attached to star in that, which I think is a really good casting choice. I read and love that book. I could totally picture her as Nora, the main character. Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bully has been optioned by the Obama's uh, production company, Higher Ground, which is very exciting. I don't know if we have any more information about that, but the Obamas did sign a distribution deal with Netflix. So it's very, very likely that that would be the next uh, big Netflix YA movie adaptation. And then I'll Be the One by Lila Lee, which I believe we've talked about a few times on past episodes of Hey YA. Yes. That one was, I think it was optioned even before the book came out. And I think it's going to be an HBO Max movie. So that's really exciting because I think it's a very visual book. And I can't wait to see like all of the singing and dancing numbers actually on the screen. My 12 year old niece loves to tell me about like a reality show about trying to get into a K pop group. And so I'm like so excited to tell her this is basically she's gonna hate the romance and be like boys and girls both have cooties <laughs> but like she'll be so here for all the singing and dancing yes so yeah that was a lot of ya content coming to screens but it's just so wonderful and i i have to echo like i'm so excited to see so many authors of color and their adaptations happening because it wasn't that long ago that i think like nicola yoon's everything everything was like the first YA book by an author of color to be adapted and that is really sad that it took that long for that to happen so there's a lot of great stuff in the works and we just need more oh yeah or just like things that got whitewashed and yeah I'm also just just because it made me happy the people who went bananas the other day because Anne Boleyn in a new like BBC drama is being played by a black woman is like (laughs) Oh, Lord. oh, man. Speaking of like, we need thoughtful diversity, but also sometimes it doesn't matter. Like right. Shakespeare or like history where it's like, it's just another bird. Like, oh, I loved watching people be mad about it. But that's neither here nor there, except sort of because <laughs> diversity and adaptations. So More diversity and adaptations. Come on. Yes. I love to see that. Yes. It's what we want. <laughs> Thank you so much to Jen Zink, our audio editor. She makes us sound really great. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our sponsors. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Tears of Price. That's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as S-H-G McLicious. And occasionally, again, on Instagram as Bookish Girl Fit. Awesome. And then we are always on bookriot.com. You can subscribe to um, What's Up in YA, the YA newsletter. And you can also find us on um, Book Riot Insiders, where we co-host the Read Harder podcast. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So we talk to each other a lot. And if you like hearing us talk to each (laughs) other a lot, there's more to be found on Insiders. Yes. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Yes. Happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.